0: Well, Matt, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well.
0: Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, before we really jump into a lot of questions, could you give us kind of a quick bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in?
1: Um, my, big, my bio, would: I was born in Detroit. Uh, I grew up in Detroit in a small town outside of Ann Arbor called Chelsea. Um, went to Central Michigan University for my undergraduate degree. It took a solid five years, five and a half years to get out. Uh, Eventually made my way to um, uh, a PhD program in political philosophy at at Duke um, and uh, got a a PhD at at Duke in um, kind of modern German critical philosophy and and lived in D.C. and worked in D.C. for a while, moved to California in 2004, where I have, um, you know, poked around in various uh, uh, angles of the writing business since then and I uh, wrote a book uh, that got published this 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 past spring
0: that's excellent um the book little platoons could you talk about like uh where the idea for the book came from originally
1: all right so there's a couple different answers to that question The the yeah. kind of the uh, I suppose to, to go back to your question about what big ideas I'm interested in Um, um th- that, that that um my way of uh, addressing your most recent question uh, with regard to that one was that is that I'm interested in the way that I'm in the way that institutions, large institutions, kind of um, adapt to and grow from um, our output as modern, active, uh, self empowered agents, and how the uh, how our our agency, our 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 striving as selves, uh, ends up empowering institutions at our expense. Um, so that is the. That is the um, kind of the, the general theoretical kind of reflex that I bring to the to the enterprise. Um, the book itself, be um, so and so, and I suppose I brought that reflex to the uh, the article that became the book. I wrote an article in 2016 for the New Yorker online about the college admissions process, um, and I had not really had a lot of. Um, I'd only had the kind of parental dread about the process. My oldest kid was in fourth grade at the time, um, and I um, so I. I I had, you know, just that kind of general parental anxiety about about the 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 building um, pressures of academic competition and stuff. But I did not really have any knowledge of the process. But it's when I was kind of thrown into the into the um, into the uh, project of learning about the college admissions process and finding, surprise, that it really kind of reaffirmed some of my kind of prior uh, uh, theoretical interests and in, in suspicions uh, regarding the way institutions. Um, are happy to, um, lap up our striving efforts as individual selves. And that's kind of where I, that's where I took the, uh, I kind of like, and it worked And So when the book kind of was in, in progress, I kind of worked backwards from my kind of understanding of the admissions process to see whether or not a kind of similar dynamic to that, which I described in my original article, um, could be identified in other areas of, in other kind of stages in the lives of parents.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I, I love that. Um, I love that lens you're looking through. Uh, The college admissions process, it's bananas. It was bananas when I went through, but it seems to have gotten much worse. So I went to a state school. I went to a good state school, still a state school, UNC Chapel Hill, which now has an acceptance rate that's the same as Stanford 20 years ago. And I I just look at that. I'm like, what is going on? The Harvard acceptance rate was 90% in like 1940. And if you could pass the test, you could get in. Um, And now, you know, it's like, it's insanely competitive, what do you think, what has changed? You know, you know what has changed in our society that this has become more of a, uh, that it's such a big problem?
1: Well, one of the things that has happened, I think, is that just our understanding of, of well, our understanding of the importance of college has changed. Um, and the access to colleges has changed <clears throat> and the access to information about colleges has changed. And so what you... And leaving aside Harvard's Harvard's ninety percent acceptance rate in in before World War II, just the, um, the 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 college market used to be much more fragmented. So people oh, went gotcha. to college nearby home, and um, and so in in and as a result, the you know schools had schools were defined um, largely by you know where they were and perhaps the kind of religious tradition that. that ah. That they expressed that that you know that they were kind of charged, oftentimes charged with uh, furthering in their you know in their pedagogy, um, and increasingly as as the kind of as the net, um, after the GI Bill and um, you know in this in in then yeah I think two inflection points one is the GI Bill and then one is the one is the um, early nineteen nineties and the kind of up the kind of uh, this the heated up um, admissions competition from there. Um, the, the the college market became kind of nationalized, especially in recent years. And so UNC now, before when I was in I was in grad school in the '90s and in in, um, in Durham, yeah. and UNC was a university. It was a North Carolina university, yeah. right? It was, a, um, it was a school that was it was identified with North the state of North Carolina. I understood, actually, at the time I understood that that it was hard because it was so popular for in-state students because there was a preference for in-state students. It was quite hard for out-of-state students to get into UNC Chapel Hill. In fact. One of the, you know, there was the kind of back and forth between Duke and UNC. <laughs> One of the things that you heard was that it was actually harder for out-of-state students to get into UNC than it was to get into Duke at the time. Um, but for in-state students, it was a, it was a different story. But even in the in the twenty-some years since then, um, the 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 college the college uh, matriculation market has become nationalized, and so students. A student in California, kind of casting about, looking to, you know, no one uh, wanting to know where to go to college, is concerned about where a given college, not where, you know, where a college is or what it teaches, um, but where it exists on the rankings. And there's one ranking, right. right? There's one list. And, every, and everyone, every college has a place on that list. And so your first choice might be um, Occidental College or something like that, given your sense of what you can get into, which is still a very selective school. And your second choice might be, UNC Chapel Hill, very different school, right? It's one's a little school, one's a big school, but you know they're right next to each other in the rankings. I'm not, they may have idea where that. Right, Nonetheless, so. But so the 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 overarching consideration for for kids, um, for kids who kind of occupy this stratum of competitive, um, admissions competitive uh, high school um, high school students. The, the, the overarching criterion is where on the ranking the, the 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 school is, and so you know if you're gonna if you're gonna go to um, and also tuition wise, what's the difference between if you're gonna go out of st- you're, if you're gonna go to a, a, a private college, you know what's the difference between going to that or a, an out of state state school, right? You're gonna be paying right. you know, roughly the, the same tuition, and so the um so the so so one the process become nationalized. And so uh, UNC kind of like occupy, just by virtue of where it was before the intensification happened, UNC occupied this somewhat privileged space. It was a kind of, you know, even when I was kind of thinking about, when I was an undergraduate, I thought, well, I hadn't really given much thought to where I went to college because I had really put very little effort into studying as a high school student, right? But then right. like one few two years into college, I'm like, well, maybe I could go somewhere else. And I thought about UNC as like a school. So it had, even for me in Michigan at the time, it had a kind of profile as a nice school. So once this sorting happens, once this, the, the rankings get, get you know made official and, and people start paying a lot of attention to them. You know, um, UNC happened to occupy an advantageous place in the rankings. And so it got, you know, its position in the kind of national rankings got solidified. And, and those rankings tend to be, you know, the schools move up and down a little bit, but not very much. And so their right. position gets, so you, you so immediately this, their, you know, whatever, the the, the niceness of the UNC campus and, and all that stuff translates into a saleable national profile and becomes a national, an object of national Uh, admissions competition just like all the other colleges and um and so it's just a so so that's one thing i think the fact that the the college market has become nationalized and so kids from all over the country are applying to unc but the other thing is there's only so many kids so how is it that all of these admissions rates are going down so much It's because they're all applying to so many colleges
0: Ah, you apply to a lot more So,
1: so kids apply to a lot more colleges um i there's statistics i cite in the book but something like the number of kids who 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 um I, I can't really remember, that, but the, the number of kids who apply to like more than eight schools has just, you know, it's a default now, right? You're If you're a competitive, if you're like serious about getting into a good school, um, you're going to apply to eight or 10 colleges, if not more. And so there's, you know, so the schools themselves are are swamped with, you know, effectively superfluous applications because because the kids are all going to get in somewhere, right? Right. Um, but nonetheless, the, the the way that this translates into rankings and the way these rankings, tra- you know, kind of like our are uh, absorbed within the kind of the, the competitive, the population of competitive high schoolers. Um, it just kind of get, everything just kind of takes on this status, this, the status of extremely high stakes, like the difference between these different colleges, the different yeah. positions. And so um, it comes to matter. It's, it's an inflated because of the, um, because of the, the superfluous applying that's done. It's an inflated um, it's an inflated, the overall number of applicants and the, you know is, is inflation gotcha. nonetheless the proliferation of these m- minuscule acceptance rates is enough to give everybody the creeps you know everybody's freaked yeah. out about it and so um so yeah so it's a it's i think that those two things mainly became a nationalized process so schools like the, the best schools were sorted from the because it's really the top 20 percent of colleges where the where this level of, uh, that have become over this period of time, the, the top 20% of colleges have become more selective and the rest have, have either stayed the same pretty much or become less selective. And so it's really, this, con- this admissions competition is really focused on this top 20% of colleges. So if you, so when this big sort happened, you were lucky enough to have been kind of hived up into the, uh, into the top fifth, then um, you're, you're, you're one of the schools that the kids are fighting to get into now.
0: Gotcha. It's kind of this flight to quality. Yeah. Thing. yeah. And, gotcha. and, and
1: once the, and once the idea of quality, that is to say, once that, which, which, which we understand in terms of exclusivity, exclusivity, right. once that kind of like percolated through the, the, the application population, uh, the applicant population, then it becomes a kind of, kind of necessary thing to, to bow down to, you know, kids have to observe this where they feel they have to observe this because, um, Because the difference between going to a name school and a no-name school is perceived to be, uh, uh, you know, categorical, really, for this world.
0: Uh, Do you view, you know, education, especially undergraduate education, primarily, like, as signaling something? Or do you think, like, people are getting, like, real different Levels of human capital when they go to these different schools. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, really it, it's really hard. It's really hard to tell. I think it's you know obviously I think that the appeal of these schools, people aren't going. Well, you know, i mean, You're right. The suspicion that you're that you're that uh, you're expressing is, I think, uh, a completely valid one, which is that it is signaling, right? There's you can get a good education anywhere. I think in my, my book I, I talk about how I I feel like simply by changing my major from business to English all of a sudden I found myself getting this great education. You know, I'm like reading these great books and, you know, I'm reading this immersed in English poetry and like, what? you know, I didn't, I was a bit of an idiot. So I, was, I didn't really make the most of it, but, but I, you know, I did, you know, it was a great, it was, I got a, I got a, I got a pretty good education for, you know, and it was Central Michigan University. Who the hell knows about Central Michigan University. Right. But it was a pretty good education. And it's, and so I think a lot of it is um, uh, what you study and, you know, and if you have good relationships with teachers and there's a lot of ways in which the, um, you know the the, the 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 kind of work incentive structure at elite universities selects against um, quality teaching, um, right. and so you know there's so yeah, so you can get a, one yes, it's signaling, and two you can get a great ed- education in a lot of different places. You can get a crappy education at a at a really good school, and you know, but nonetheless, you got the credential, right? Right,
0: so, right. That makes a lot of sense, and, and people really want the credential. Um, it's been my sense that uh, things, you know. Things were fairly competitive when I was a kid, you know, like, you know, parents were thinking about, you know, oh God, like, where can I get a kid go to school? And there's this push, you know, make sure you take the AP classes and you play a sport and you've got to do all these things. Um, but it seems to have been ratcheted up to 11 now. So I saw a college prep you know, pre-K around, it's opened up around me, um, which is just bananas. And we had uh, Kelly Staret, who's a, he's a well-known physical therapist on the show a while back. Uh, and he was talking about uh, some unrelated things, but he was, he started, he mentioned to me that the rates of overuse injuries, he sees among kids now has just skyrocketed. So, you know, they've got like, they've blown out their shoulder from pitching too much on travel baseball teams and, and things. It's just, it seems like things have have really escalated. Is that your sense?
1: Yeah, well, well, first of all, let me let me uh, going kind to of point out that I actually own Kelly Starrett's book. Oh, really? A, my brother is a, a CrossFit maniac. And he, oh, uh, nice, and he sent me the book. And I also I had a physical uh, personal trainer who helped me through an injury, who was also like a devotee of him. So, like, the, this that name is kind of like, but but yeah, so in my discussion of, of uh, sports, I talk about this about how um, the uh, there's this. Need for I mean, first of all, there's, it, it, the the proliferation of, of these kind of overuse injuries goes hand in hand with with the overspecialization of uh, in in individual in single sports that kids are uh, kind of giving into at younger and younger ages. Now they're giving into the, the, the this overspecialization does not serve like long term uh, prowess in a particular sport, but what it does what it is guided by is like the short term calculation to parents who are trying to keep their kids in. In a sport, right? And so if you decide, well, you know, I really only want my son to play soccer for five months of the year, four months of the year, and then let him play basketball or other sports. Well, he comes back to soccer, you know, uh, eight months later, and um, he's going to be at a disadvantage because he has not been gaining the foot skills that the other kids have. Now, now, whether or not this actually matters over the long run is, you know, debatable. But um, so, so that's so the 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 kind of competitive system of, of, of club sports that we have um, select first of all it selects it it incentivizes the clubs themselves to kind of go all out to have a kind of to do, to observe this year round schedule and to have into you know which then kind of encourages kids to commit to a single sport rather than sampling right. a bunch of sports and it um and it likewise incentivizes parents then to because the um the need to kind of stay in the system is a kind of short-term need and once you're out it's really hard to get back in like if your kid you know skips soccer for two years and he comes back well he's going to look like a kid who skipped soccer for two years (laughs) and uh and the clubs don't want that because clubs are also they want to be able to present themselves as winning clubs to the parents who are competitive-minded and so the whole thing selects for these short-term calculations and and one of the consequences of it is that these kids end up deciding well i got to commit to a single sport um, and I got to play the sport year round. And as a result, you, um, they end up, um, one, oh, they end up with these overuse injuries because they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're jamming on their knees or their shoulders or, or whatever, um, for, for, you know, the better part of a year and two, they're not building up a kind of overall physiological balance that comes with playing a lot of sports and stressing your body in different ways and opposing ways and coming up with a, a kind of overall physical resiliency.
0: Definitely. definitely. It, it seems like uh, it's like this good heart law, good hearts law problem where they're just optimizing on, you know, what's the best school I can get into. So right. I, I guess, so you're a parent, right, Matt? Yeah, I have three kids. Okay. So, you know, what's your feeling? Like, like, what is the you know, when you look at other parents, like, like, what do you see is the primary driver? Is it like some status anxiety thing? Is it a feeling that your kid might drop out of the middle class if they don't get into one of these uh, prestigious schools? Like, what do you think the primary driver is?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think so there's a kind of a the kind of long term background driver is this latter thing that you mentioned, which is, again, we're worried that our kids are going to have failed lives. We're, right? We're yeah, that, like we're not going to be up for competing in the knowledge economy or, or whatever the, um you know, the our understanding of what's and so, in, which is which is real consideration. I feel like that there, there is a, um, a way in which you know I talk about this kind of the, the nationalization, the kind of um, the homogenization of the college market, right, where there's a single um, a single uh, pyramid that every yeah. college is on, um, and that there's some you know a kind of something similar is really kind of has happened in the economy and it has happens in people's perception of the economy, which is that well you know, more brains means more money. And right. so you got to like find yourself, because, you know, you know, tech, basically tech and finance kind of sit at the top of these things and they're kind of mathy uh, yeah. quantitative pursuits. And so the kids who are kind of good at math or whatever. So, so parents kind of go into this process, well, Jesus, my kid, you know, like a math genius, um, is he going to be good enough in these things? And so, so, um, so that's kind of one of the, uh, the, 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 existing, yeah. the the perception that the economy is kind of requires a, 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 a not just a particular but a, 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 requires a particular basket of skills or rewards a right. particular basket of skills to the, you know much more than 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 other skills and so um, so that's the kind of ba- so the background thing it's just generally that we live in a transformed world where brains where going kind to of, where the ability to to uh, to exhibit to and in- improve a sort of IQ or as you know um, by way of you know like what colleges you you what right. college you do um, is is perceived to be extremely extremely important. So that's kind of the background consideration. And then kind of like on the more retail level, the level of individual psychology. I mean, one of the I just I, I put a lot of emphasis on you we call it sta- You know, you can call it a kind of status games and, and that kind of yeah. thing, But it gives a kind of invidious spin on it in a way, and that we're all. I like to kind of point out that we're all kind of status conscious people. Oh, right? definitely.
0: Everyone is. No, no
1: So by status games, we simply mean that people kind of occupy social space and kind of like and do it in this kind of comparative way and wonder if part one of the ways that they wonder if they're doing things right is, is by seeing what other people are doing. But then in seeing what other people are doing, you start to wonder whether or not I'm doing enough. Right. Right. So, especially with this kind of like background consideration of kind of like, you know, success in the, in the competitive economy and, and that kind of thing.
0: Definitely, definitely. I also get the feeling. Uh, did you see the college admissions documentary? Well, I, I assume you you you've heard about you the, the college. The, the,
1: you mean the the Operation Varsity Blues?
0: Yes, Operation yeah, Varsity I Blues. Wrote an
1: article. I wrote an article for the New Yorker online about that. About that.
0: Awesome, yeah. awesome. I I'll have to read it. I, I may actually read. It. I read the New Yorker, and that's maybe where I first heard about it. Um, not knowing that, but it it was interesting to me that so many people wanted to get into the University of Southern California, which is it, it's a good school not amazing school. and and that led me to believe okay are these people like hang out at the country club you know you want to tell your friend that you know my kid also got into the university of southern california and you know that's like um but that that's interesting it's, yeah. i thought it was, really so
1: it was real so clearly like this was not that that whole thing that scandal with the kids and the in the in and the celebrity yeah. stuff it was not dri- it was not driven by the the kids it was driven by the parents right. right exactly and and um and so it was exactly as you say it was like you know like in this milieu to be able to to, to say, and, um, to say that, uh, your kid goes to USC, you know, that's kind of big stuff. If you're, yeah. you know, if you're hanging around the Hollywood airheads, you know, and you got, and you're, and you got your kid into, into USC yeah. it, it would say something. And one of the, I actually read something kind of interesting and actually somewhat poignant about that, about how, about how, um, I, I don't know if it was both, uh, Lori Laughlin and, um, who the other one was, um, um I can't remember I, I know what you're talking about yeah but, but whether whether they both um went to went to college or not but laurie laughlin apparently did not go to college and so like this idea so the idea of having a kid so even though she was a you know kind of a she was married to a rich guy and she was a successful actress or whatever the idea is nonetheless she felt haunted by this kind of like you know highly american kind of like set of standards for what what makes for a kind of respectable bourgeois life and it is going to college. And so she was, you know, really intent on getting her kid into college. So it kind of bespeaks a kind of, in this case, it bespeaks a kind of, kind of, uh, you know, a void, a spiritual void in the, in the, you know, or just a a feel of kind of comparative disadvantage in, 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 in in parents like that. But, but in general, it's just, um, yeah, you got, you know, the, 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 You know, there. I mean, maybe it's it is bragging, right? I'm sure. I mean, I you know, I see I see the bumper stickers around. You know, although nowadays when I see bumper stickers, I'd say I've I've been when I where my wife and I take a lot take walks up in up in the hills. we I go past a car that has like a Middlebury and a NYU stick or something like that. And I just the only thing I think is, gosh, man, no wonder you're driving a 15-year-old Volvo. You, know?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got the year because you're paying tuition at yeah. it's like. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but you know, that's always the you know, that that's that's the um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a constant consideration, I think, for a lot of people.
0: Parties. Definitely. Yeah i'm curious you know what's what's to be done you know there's a couple different levels just like if you're a a, some a kid applying to college and then like a parent and then and then the broader policy level do do you have any thoughts here like like is there any way to escape this kind of morass
1: you know it's really i mean you know perhaps as something of a cop-out i mean i come as a political philosophy student so like in a certain way i wrote this book as a as a book of political not, not just as a book of political philosophy, but also you know, I my kind of intellectual formation was more kind of right of center, kind of conservative, um, yeah, conservative, uh, as we say now, conservative spaces. Um, but uh, and so, and so, when I you know, and I started thinking about it, this kind of like goes for a long kind of you know, say, let us say, philosophical evolution, but I was, um, I started, to, I started to think about well, you know, like, yeah, the one way to do, you know one way to fix this problem is to, is to, you know, have a different society. Right. But I mean, I meant kind of like thinking into kind of like a set of uh, a set of policy um, preferences that are common among, or, you know, traditionally common among, among conservatives, people who otherwise purport to be kind of interested in family, you know, pro-family and yeah. outlook in that, like the, my, my point is that the kind of highly individualistic, um, the highly individualistic highly competitive kind of nature of american society which is the, which are things that have traditionally been been um celebrated within about america within conservative circles that um that these things you know the way these things play out at a certain point in the intensification of this competition the way these things play out is that they actually it actually increases the the de- increases the dependency of families and incre- and decreases their their independence and increases their, increases their dependency on, on, you know, highly, highly, uh, well, um, well uh, placed institutional gatekeepers. Right. The college being the, the best example. So they have to kind of do what the colleges say. You have, right. so your freedom is highly conditioned on what the colleges prefer if what you want is for your kid to compete successfully in this, yeah. in this, in this competition. And, um, and so, so, that is the kind of so the, the, uh, the kind of the philosophical thrust or the political thrust of the argument is that you will know, well, maybe maybe you know the, our highly atomized Hobbesian American um, social terrain is not really very well designed to, to serve the autonomy of families that autonomy of families in fact would be better served in a more um, so- solidaristic kind of social contract of something you know you know it's a bit of a cliche but something along kind of uh, Northern or you know Western European line, something a little bit more social democratic. Yeah. Where people feel as if the stakes of success in any particular stage of the competition are not so great that your kid's failure means it's the means uh, some kind of mutilated life, some kind of life that, you know, it's not, it's not worth living according to a bourgeois kind of perspective, you know? And so um, that is so. At the highest level, I think is like anything you know, any policies that that um, take the stresses off of families, um, that that you know stronger stronger safety net um, and that those kinds of things. And then on the retail level, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of things. I I, I you know, I kind of wash my hands of of kind of giving or, or like at least building a great deal of advice into my book, just because I one of my kind of argumentative standpoints is that well, these are all. Th- th- these are kind of uh, this is a collective action problem these are right yeah. that are very yeah. very difficult to step out of and so you know maybe like the crafty parent can figure out a way to do it while you know kind of while like playing their own game but that none, none that leaves everybody else just to, to scrabble after the scraps you know and so um and so so there's, I mean, there's, you know, like, I think that like, it's good to know exactly what, you know, if you're really going to be you know, freak out about this stuff, it's good to know exactly what, what rides on where your kid goes to school, right. for example. And there's research to show that really, you know, what matters is not what school your kid, you know, got into, but what, who your kid is and what your kid is made of. And right, and um, you know, that will determine over the long run, you know, with some extent, I mean, maybe going to Harvard, you end up networking in a way that, you know, you end up with your, Interviews at McKinsey, and you end up, you know, maybe knowing people who get a chance to intern somewhere, you know, important or whatever. But I think for 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 the most part, um, so, so that's a kind of lesson of one set of of, of kind of economic um, uh, uh, papers that like who your kid is matters more than where they went to college. Now, there's you know, there's always going to be kind of like arguments against that, and there's there's right. interesting conversation. But that's that's one thing. You know, and I hear things also. I get, I, you know, I've gotten since the book came out i've had you know people who um who kind of argue you know kind of like want to talk about the you know different ways of kind of opting out in I um, i don't know if you're familiar with rod dreher
0: yeah the um, benedict option
1: benedict so like people with kind of like pursuing a kind of benedict option <laughs> and, which I, you know frankly i've always i mean i kind of see the appeal of that and, and it suits my kind of disposition as a as a parent and kind of a political theorist slash parent that like, yeah, I want to be able to kind of draw the circle around my family in such a way that I don't have to deal with this crap, you know? But again, you do that and you still leave everybody else is still out there, you know? And so it's kind of, you're just basically kind of looking out for yourself. And so, um, so yeah, so I mean, sure. Go ahead and be, you know, do the Benedict option. If that, you know, if you homeschool your kids and stuff, I'd kind of like that, but, um, but it's, you know, nonetheless, it leaves the problems unaddressed. And, and, so, um, and so I think that, so the problems are largely, large scale ones of, of um, public policy more than anything. And uh, otherwise it's just, you know, it's just, uh, you're just, people are coming up with differences. But I mean, I'm, I'm happy that people, you know, I'm, I'm happy that people in kind of like reading my book are kind of like, a, are able to identify with me the problems I'm writing about in kind of, you know, even if they're only doing it their own way, are, um, are recognizing that there's a problem. They're feeling it. They're feeling there's something wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, what, what I really liked about your book was this, the framing, which I really hadn't thought of is how, like, you know, the actions of, of the big universities in this country, they drive, like, like the incentives they create drive every like all these parents actions. Like, you know, I, 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 I don't know why I thought of it thinking going the other direction, you know, it's like the parents great. And it's a feedback loop, right. As well. Um, but, you know, like the way they're super exclusive, you know, like Stanford's endowments, $23 billion, you know, they haven't grown the enrollment with the endowment, you know, it's like, uh, they're, they're actively doing things that, you know, to, maintain that kind of nightclub appeal where it's just this velvet rope. Um, I, I, I'm curious, you know, it's funny. We had Tommy Collison on the show. Who's uh, one of the Collison brothers of Stripe, a big uh, internet payments company is this huge billion dollar company. They grew up in Ireland in this like tiny town. Um, and, as kids they were just free to pursue whatever pursuits they they thought were interesting you know one of them learned latin a couple of them learned to code and started stripe and did all these great things and i was just struck by how different that was than american kids growing up here it's like being able to pursue what you own
1: yeah so that's and that's part of this is like you know it, this is, I mean, the way I describe it in the book is that it is, is a kind of an accident of institutional design. It's kind of like right. we had all these colleges, right? And we had all these colleges that it was awesome. All these colleges, you know, yeah. these pastors went out into the landscape, the wilderness, <laughs> and founded all these colleges in these states. These, you know, America's fifty states created yeah. these, these uh, land grant institutions, which you know, and the variety is is fantastic. But at a certain point, you know, it became a, um, it just got it got kind of organized into a single thing yeah and, um, and so the um, so you know, what was what was kind of great and in about the variety of American institutions got kind of translated by virtue of you know a, a series of you know you know economic sociological um, developments again these are I don't want to like talk about oh this is the big you know one cost thing it, but a right. lot of different things contributed to this to this um, process but the result was that it kind of turned what we was a, what, what was a um, a wondrous variety of institutions into a single and exacting status hierarchy that everyone has to kind of like find the right, you know, the best place on. And if you contrast that, the, the contrast that I can return to several times in my, in the book is with Canada, right? Where yeah. Canada has like a hand, you know, like big giant, but entirely respectable, um, um, you, you know, provincial universities, right? Yeah, And people don't make a big deal about it. So there's, um, so there's, um, in um, I don't know, in um, you know, so University of Toronto is like the big school in in, yeah. in Canada, um, but it uh, it it's not it doesn't have the same status as a Stanford or a Harvard, you know. Right. So you got into UT, well, that's cool. I mean, I knew people like I went to grad school with a super smart guy who was in a PhD program of at, at Duke in history, and he is he went to University of Western Ontario. You ever heard of University of Western <laughs> Ontario? It does, it's a it's a big school. It's an it's a big school, and um you know or York University or Queens whatever like these various big schools in Ontario, big public schools, um and it's like people just don't make a big deal about which one you went to, and right. um that just cools things down a lot. I think people figure well, and, and another thing is that the the competition that the competition that that for us gets you know gets. Uh, pushed down to younger and younger ages is is in candidates captured by the colleges themselves the competition is among college students not among fifth graders or what's better and um yeah and so in that way you can you know the it changes your entire orientation to what your what you know schooling and life is for for your for your young kids no doubt um but yeah so i kind of like you know i like the idea of like and it's kind of like so Ireland, right? So the, yeah. th- these kids were not, you know, their parents weren't freaked out about what college they were going to go to because there's not, you know, there's not, it's uh, whatever, several, like maybe 200 schools that like ambitious parents are kind of like ranking in their brains and wanting to get their kids into the best one, you know, and, all, you know, and also little schools. So all this, like, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is the comparison of the sizes of, of the entering classes of, you know, you, you know, University of Toronto, the entering class is like 15,000 entering <laughs> classes, 15,000 people. And, um, you know, the, the entering class at like Williams College is like under a thousand, you know, and, um, and, and maybe 500 or maybe less. And so um, so and so the point I'm making that in that in that little digression is that, the, with, you know, the meaning of, of a particular college acceptance is so much greater here. The social right. meaning what it signals what you can signal with it. Whereas, oh, yeah, my kid got into University of Manitoba, you know, right. awesome, you know. Yeah, mine too. Everybody on the right, block. Exactly. everybody, <laughs> <laughs> so
0: no doubt, no doubt. Well, and, and it feels uh, it does feel existential. You know, it's like if you don't get the the right right degree, it's a dunce cap or something, and you know you'll never be successful. And uh, it's uh, it's quite brutal in the U.S. Which I, I like the Canadian model. It sounds like a much better better approach. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious. You mentioned uh, you know how atomized U.S. society has gotten, and and think about that in the context of the family uh is that something that has gotten worse over time i know it feels brutally atomized just especially with covid you know this has just been accelerated um but is is that just a feeling i have or do you think that's really the case that that has kind of changed
1: i mean i think that one of the um yeah i think going from a, a kind of one of the kind of assumptions of my book is that one of the there's always there's a kind of double-edged sword about um just in the kind of availability of information, right? So you can like, um, you learn about all kinds of stuff, but you also learn about other people. You learn about what other people are doing. And so because, you know, this, I don't really go into the Rene Girard kind of mimesis stuff in the book, but I could have, and, you know, and there's a, um, you know, there's this this sense of just knowing what other people are doing kind of has a tendency to kind of haunt us, right? And so, and to to get into our heads about, well, well, then what we need to be doing. And um, and so the feeling of atomization uh, would, you know, given this, would naturally follow from this the kind of just the more kind of information um, saturated environment that we we kind of swim in these days, and so um, so just yeah so knowing more about colleges, knowing more about other 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 parents, it's just like ways in which this you know knowing. Um, just having this information kind of like just batter our brains constantly, it's hard not to kind of absorb it as a kind of existential challenge that you have as a parent to kind of like, well, gird your, um, your, your children against the, 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 the war that is, you know, that you were learning is waging out there on, you know, on, on the outside the, the, the four walls of your house. Um, so, so, I mean, that's kind of at the perceptual level and, yeah. um, you know, I could, but at the actual objective level of, of, um, of, uh, society itself. Um, there's a pretty strong case to be made that the economy has, has changed in a way again, to kind of, um, to, um, you know, make middle-class lives a more kind of exclusive good, you know, right. on the, the, you know, the college degree and, um, and, uh, and, and not only that the middle-class life is an exclusive good, but that the a working-class life is less, much less, um, much less creditable, much less respectable than it was um, in the, you know, 50, you know, 70, 80 years ago because the, um, the amount of, of, of um, product that that the businesses take, you know, that, that the top level of businesses take um, is relative to what the workers take is, is, is increased. And so, you know, people, you know, it's it, working class life is not, I mean, it's really hard to kind of, with the exception of like the you know, certain of the manual trades and that that are particularly remunerative, um, the, you know, the idea that you can, you know, kind of like angle for a working class life and and have a good life as someone who works with your hands. it's not very convincing. And so the, 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 um, I'm not saying it's not, it's not very convincing, especially to a kind of population of anxious middle class parents. Right. So they feel that if they're not, if your kid is not going to be kind of make it into this, this kind of stratum, the self-reproducing stratum of, of, of of middle and upper middle-class knowledge workers, then the drop that they make from there is a precipitous drop that you'll do anything to keep your kid from experiencing.
0: Do anything to kind of fall off that cliff. Yeah. No, uh uh, it's super brutal super brutal um kids you know phones and like uh, uh the pervasiveness of information technology uh we've talked a little bit about that in in terms of just like knowledge about you know what's going on like who's applying to what college but do you think there are negative effects kind of beyond that that we should be worried about
1: are you talking about information technology in particular yeah um well yeah i mean i there's you know there's again and this also kind of goes to the whole kind of competitiveness thing in, in general kind of we become we feel like well we have to submit to the imperatives of technology because that's really where the future lies you know right. that, that if our kids you know you kind of you feel like i kind of joke in, early in the my te- you know, technology chapter about how when i you know my parents got me an ipad when yeah. um, when i you know when my kids were little when i, I didn't even have a third kid yet and um and having this iPad, I just naturally kind of like related to the existence of the iPad, this big, pretty uh, image, you know, a screen with all this kind of stuff that I could kind of present to their, their hungry eyes. And, and I just thought of it as being, you know, oh my gosh, the stuff that they can learn on this, you know, and it was completely in defiance of what my own kind of like informed sensibilities about this stuff were, but just having that com- that 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 bit of computer technology was just so beguiling, is so seductive. I'm like, oh, my kids are going to learn a ton from this, this this iPad, you know? Yeah. And um and, and so there's a way in which the, the um you know computers and, and technologies kind of speak to us as parents as being a kind of vessels of of, of agency and um and information that we're going to that we're going to like hook our kids up. And they're going to learn because there's so much information, you know, that can course through this 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 portal. And um, yeah, and so that's one. I mean, so that is. So I think that kind of like is the kind of one of the origins of our kind of how easily disarmed we are. Before it. that is to say we were not. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons. We all know them too. There's a lot of reasons to be suspicious, to be defensive regarding technology, and we kind of learn about all the, the harms and possible harms and stuff. But we feel like, well, geez, you know, if we're going to give in to the, to the warnings, then that's going to kind of like sever us from the, the, uh, the currents of power that, you know, about, you know, over the future that run through these, these devices. We feel like if you don't, if you're not, your kid's not connected, the kid doesn't have an iPad and he's not like, you know, what know, reading Wikipedia pages or whatever they're supposed to be doing Right. Um, that, that he's missing out. And, um, and I, it's, it's a, it's a, again, it's one of these things where, the the Kind of based level of vigilance that we're supposed to have about our kids and their brains and the future and stuff kind of kind of leaves us susceptible to kind of um, believing the promises um, that reside in a, something like an iPad.
0: Definitely, no, I I really like that. Um, this next question, you, you know, you just talked about the future. You know, how how we think about the future. Um, you know, one of the big problems I see in American politics today is, you know, the left doesn't really have this like appealing vision of the future that's different than the present that's achievable and neither does the right really. Like, you know, no one has this, okay. Like what does the future look like? That's better for everyone that is actually different from today that we could, you know, put together, like it's something we could actually do. Uh Do you think that exists in the, in the problem space, you know, or is, are we just kind of uh, going to suffer decline and, and decadence like a Ross you talks um, about, right?
1: Um, You know, I've, it's weird. I mean, I did not, I I didn't, you know, I did not expect a lot from Joe Biden when I I voted for him, Um, but I voted for him and, you know, like, and so I, I don't really, I'm not not particularly romantic about the, about the future. I don't really, not typically kind of like signed on to kind of um, uh, progressive visions of uh, ultimate fulfillment or, you know, and through history
0: or something like that.
1: Yeah. So, right. So that's, um, although (laughs) actually I won't go into that, but (laughs) anyway, I was going to say, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not there's no, we, you know, I was going to joke about how we're the fulfillment of the past, but, you know, (laughs) but, but like uh, nothing, no one's going to improve upon us. Um, But no, I was going to what I was going to say was that, but there's just a kind of handful of things like the child tax credit, for example, like, yeah. All right. You know, like little things. I think that like, for, I I feel, I feel like the, 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 the the prospects for policy changes like that and the outlook that that, the, the different outlook that that, that offers, that is to say, just like, again, thinking about it, first of all, in terms of families. Yeah. What is it that, what, I mean, because I mean, we talk, I'm talking about like the stresses of, of families of college bound kids and kind of, you know, what it's like to live and the kind of fear of the future and stuff. But what if, you know, I mean, you think about the, how how poisonous that kind of predicament is when you're, what you're, the future you're worried about is whether or not you're going to have food and, and that kind right. of thing. And so, I mean, there's a, so this, this more kind of generous, a public policy toward families just at the basic level of giving them money yeah I, feel, good. I think a lot of there's a lot of and i mean i and i absorbed a lot of this myself back in the day a lot of anxiety about what the you know quote-unquote pathologies of, of of um kind of public handouts or whatever would be but you know there's a fair amount of research you know kind of more current that that um doesn't perhaps doesn't entirely eliminate those concerns but you know it situates them and minimizes them to a certain degree where you can then focus on what the benefits are, you know, which is the fact that like poor people have more money and families have a little bit more security. And so you yeah. extend that, um, extend that um, uh, kind of policy approach in other areas. Um, you could possibly just see a kind of an easing of it, just a feeling, an easing of the feeling that the stakes are so damn high right. and then the stakes aren't that high. Maybe we're not like just at the cusp of, of failure and something you know, uh, some You know, be, a version of life that is that is um, that is kind of not worth living. And and uh, yeah. So yeah. So anyway, that's my. You know, and I, I've turned into something of a bleeding heart in this regard because I just I, I feel like you know the the um the uh, the families need to be supported. It's hard to it's hard to be a family. It's hard to raise kids and and materially and otherwise. And um, and uh, you know, and and, and so, so to kind of live in a society where. Where like, some of the feeling of imminent, you know, apocalypse is 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 um, diminished, um, it be, would be a good thing.
0: Definitely, I I, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's really important we help support families. Um, I might've read this in, in your book. I can't quite remember, but it does seem like, you know, we used to live with a bunch of, you know, we live with our extended relatives, right? You know, your uncles, your aunts, you live all together. Um, and and now we live in very kind of, you know, in much smaller groups, you know, like uh, mom and dad and some kids, like that's, that's much and more average.
1: Family is like a kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah. So. yeah. And, and um, it, do you think that that's a negative trend? And, and and it's actually, you know, that being the norm, that's not really the norm anymore either. Like a uh, nuclear family is not the norm. It's, it's usually single parent households now. Um, do, do you think, do you see this trend kind of continuing or do you think it was something we're, we're able to get out of? I mean, of?
1: you know, it's, it's the thing is that is that when this kind of goes to kind of class stratification too, that like the nuclear family remains the norm for educated educated uh, parents right so that the, right. The, the more education you have the less likely you are to get divorced and so and there's a lot of they married, yeah and there's a lot of advantage the kids that accrue to that 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 the one thing yeah and um and but but the kind of the other question of like say if there's the nuclear nuclear family kind of like you know just just whatever conceptually kind of sits between the dissolving the, the would i say like the disaggregating family into the single parent family of the like on the one hand and then the extended family yeah on the other I think it may have been um, uh, my my friend Ian Corbin, who wrote the thing that you're referring to about um, about the nuclear family. He's talking about he kind of like he was kind of, he was he was criticizing the kind of the the dominance of the nuclear family, not because he wants to see more single parent families, but because he, he, you know the the model of the extended family yeah. where grandparents uh, and aunts and uncles are kind of nearby or maybe even in the household. Um, is, you know, perhaps a valuable, worthwhile alternative. Um, that is, you know, I'm not against that. But one thing I do, I mean, I, I have a, I mean, my, th- there, there's a way in which my kind of, my my own kind of conception of family life, you know, the kind of defending family life in the, in that kind of the, the node of family life as a, as a kind of a site of otherness of alterity of difference. Yeah. Um, that that you know that, that, that that's built upon a conception of the nuclear family, right? Because that's right. where like those those in, you know little kind of intense bonds form, those little shared meanings that really are not shared with the outside world. Um, so there's a way in which you know I feel like the nuclear as a as a as a way of protecting the kind of intense particular bonds um, that that we don't experience out in the world that the nuclear family may be the sturdiest version of that, right? Um, but you know, at the same time, it is, um, there are definitely costs to uh, kind of favoring that model over, over say the, the extended family and the way that in the US, the way that, um, you know, the kind of for at least, I don't think it's the case so much anymore, but especially, you know, certainly in the decades after World War II, that the, the cultural model that was propounded, that be, you know, the ideal family life was um, you know, living in a cul-de-sac and a subdivision and a, you know, split out home where, you, yeah. you know, a little castle. And that's a costly model in a lot of ways too. So, um, so, you know, I, I, mean, nonetheless, I'm sentimentally, I'm very fond of the nuclear family model, the two parent nuclear family yeah. model. You know, you know, but again, you say this and you, and you kind of like feel like, well, people are going to be, be upset because you're denigrating other family arrangements. Um, And, you know, and I know single parents work hard and, and yes, yeah and it's kind of important to acknowledge that but you know i mean but at the same time the problems that single parents face are in their own way an argument for two parents
0: yes absolutely and i think um yeah i think people can never hear that this point that you know they they hear like they hear someone say like okay like i'm pro-nuclear family and they're like well you're clearly against single parents and it's like well uh you know Two parent, like married households have better outcomes, like uh, in, in all these metrics, people probably for reasons like, you know, you're kind of committed to each other. There's kind of this like sense in which it's harder to defect and for, for whatever reasons. Um, and, and they hear that. And, they, and it's something like we used to have strong social norms. Like if you got a girl pregnant and she's going to have the baby, you know, you get married, like the, everyone got married, like in 1960, everyone got married. And this was like uh, what people did. And, you know, there's, there's downsides to that because you're locked in perhaps in a relationship that's not purely optimal, but it does seem like there are a lot of upsides and, and people just can't hear the idea that, well, it would be good if we had a social norm, that this is the norm, you know what I mean? And encourage that to happen.
1: Right. And it's hard to like find your, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of, it's hard to, to find yourself defending that norm. Right. And kind right. of like for the kind of the, um, the, the reason that you're, you're, you're talking about. Um, without people taking it as if, well, you're kind of, you know, denigrating the efforts of people in other yeah. families, well, you know. And I will say, I'm, I'm all for respecting the, the efforts of single parents, and I and I am not against gay people, gay married people adopting kids. But you know, there's a there's a degree of kind of like innovation in family structure with, say, like polyamorous families and the right. like. That it's like-, that like to start drawing and, and the thing is that you'll get you'll get grief for doing that, like for for right. questioning. That. For, for, for drawing those kinds of lines and and i feel like no i'll draw those lines
0: um right well and there's almost <laughs> I, I have this feeling that you know this is an arrangement we've been using for a very long time and there's reasons there tend to be reasons yeah. why these things are persistent right like and yeah, even though we right. may not necessarily be able to define all of them like they're probably there's this chesterton's fence thing where we got to be careful
1: right no i i agree i think that the uh the person, you know, the thing—that's the thing, though—is we're, we're in a time now where the, the persistence of an institution is, in fact, an argument against it right. um, by a lot of people. Right? It's if, if like anything that kind of like comes to us from the past is held in suspicion, you know. And so you and I are like, yeah, the family has been, has, you know, survived the test of time. And like a lot of people are like, that, you, know, if you've, if you've, you know, if you, if you, you know, if you are proven in the test of time, that means that you're, that you're, you know, failing the test of the progressive present or something, you know. And so right. you know, you, and so. Um, Anyway, these are, these are political fights to have ultimately, right. That, that, you know, where, what we value and um, I value the family.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Well put. Well, um, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I I really enjoyed talking to you and and I've learned a ton. Do do you have any parting thoughts? And uh, second question, where can people find your work in the book?
1: Um, Well, the book is available at a bunch of different, uh, I suppose, I don't know. It's, you know, it's in my bookstore I know, locally, but I'm not sure you can certainly find it in various online vendors like Amazon. Um, and, uh, so what was your other question?
0: Uh, you know, do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to leave, leave with people? And I know that's kind of like general, right?
1: Yeah. Um, well, besides buy my book, um,
0: it's important. It's great by the way. Oh
1: you know, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I would just say, you know, the, the, I, I would like to to bring these two considerations together. One is the is the kind of support of the family as an institution, but also to recognize that that, um, that in the in the present in, in the kind of the the, the kind of fierce um, uh, competitiveness and uh, and velocity of modern life in America, the family needs help. And right. um, and and so there's a you know that it's it's maybe time to start thinking about a public role for. If, if not long past time to start thinking about a public role for uh, not just supporting families, but for, for um, taking a little bit of the air out of the, of, of, of the, of the pressure balloon that um, surrounds families.
0: Definitely. I love that. Well, thank you, Matt.
1: All right. Well, thanks a lot.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode
1: of narratives.